Splicecast. I think a true writer will write regardless of whether immediately he or she makes a dent or not. For me, I've always said that I'm very patient. If it takes 50, 100 years for people to understand what I'm trying to do, that's fine. This is part two of Writer's Block, our season two finale that looks at Singapore's literary scene. If you haven't listened to part one, I'd highly recommend that you do that first so you can catch up on where we are. In part one, we cover the journey of a book idea in the mind of an author through to being on sale on a shelf in a store. We heard from Singapore's OG publisher, Kenny Leck, and by the end of the episode, we'd reached the promised land for writers. Being published. It's morning, the day after yesterday. And yesterday was your mega party to celebrate launching your book. Time to rub your eyes, clear your head, and put your thinking cap on. What's next? In our final episode of Season 2, we're going to dive into the world of Singapore-based writers and see what paths are available to them. For this episode, I'm not going to limit this to published writers only. I'm also going to include writers who've yet to publish their first book, but have found other outlets for their literary output. I'm Ken Delbridge, and this is the No We're Not Podcast. I'm going to take some artistic license and frame the options available through a blended prism of the seven virtues and the seven sins, using four virtues and three sins. I'm not suggesting we can assign a single virtue or sin to any of the writers we're going to meet. Life is never that simple. Instead, I'm going to use them to frame the paths available to writers in Singapore. Number one. The virtue of diligence. Keep on keeping on. The first and most obvious option for a writer after they've published their first book is to get busy and write the next one. Wayne Ray's first book, Tales from a Tiny Room, was a collection of short stories with accompanying art. Books actually published his book, and we met their publisher, Kenny Leck, in the first part of Writer's Block. I spoke to Kenny from Books Actually, and I was in advertising, so I did like a whole proposal for him. You know, here's the marketing plan, here's the audience, here's, here's what the book's about. Kenny looked at it, and he liked it. I, th- I think he was mostly focused on the stories, and it was just me and my paranoid marketing brain that decided to give him everything else on top of that. I remember two things about that meeting with Kenny. One was he reinforced the idea that it's highly unlikely for you to make a living out of this, and you got to do this because you love doing it. And I was like, yeah, no, that's absolutely it. The other thing he said was, um, he asked me how much of the manuscript was ready and I told him the whole thing which as it turns out is a completely backwards way of doing it Kenny was like okay that, that's good we reduced the amount of art to make it tighter we helped design the cover everything and all that and yeah it got, it got onto the shelves he's still working in advertising and his side hustle energies are now going into a comic that is a collaboration with Benjamin G. Mr. Memphis started out as a short story that I written. The short story was a supernatural western, and Ben came in and he's like, okay, I, w- I want to adapt your story, but I want to do it a little bit different. So we'll keep the western elements in terms of the dialogue, we'll keep the supernatural side of things, but visually, I want to represent it as like a wuxia kind of aesthetic, which turned out absolutely amazing. It's one of the collaborative pieces I'm most proud of. I was so happy to work with Ben on it. A publisher actually approached us because they saw Mr. Memphis and they said they wanted to do something similar to that. 
it's that nice little mashup of the prose piece and then you've got like the comics remix of the prose piece so we're going to be doing something like that again it's very much in its early stages we're just slowly developing it for now because everybody's got like their own stuff that they need to settle as well that's one the other one i had a friend approach me and she said that she had this idea for a comic series it's called in this town of strangers and it's her idea but she wanted like a writer to help her develop it so i guess i'm sort of slowing down in that sense and focusing more on collaborative aspects of stuff I'm Sebastian Sim. I'm a Singapore writer. I write novels, both in Chinese and English. Sebastian Sim's first novel was a martial arts novel written in Chinese. The very first time I approached a local publisher was during a book fair. Probably like 20 to 30 different publishers would come together and showcase their titles. And I noticed that there was this particular local publisher who seemed to be very supportive of local writers. And they would publish titles which are not very commercial. So I approached them and told them that I actually have this work in progress, a three-volume sword fighting saga. And they told me that once I finish it, they'll be happy to see it. In about a month's time, I passed them my manuscript and they were very supportive. They liked it and they decided to publish my very first novel in Chinese. That was back in 2004. After taking a break for a few years, Sebastian switched languages to English. His first English novel, Let's Give It Up for Gimme Lao, was a finalist in the 2015 Epigram Books Fiction Prize. And in 2017, his second English novel, The Riot Act, won. His publisher has gone beyond only physical or e-books. When I publish with Epigram Books, I sort of assign to them all the rights for adaptation. I allow them to help me explore different possibilities. Both my titles have been made into audiobooks. I think Epigram is trying very hard. They have an office in London, so they're trying to publish their local titles in London, trying to promote them to a London readership. But I understand it's an uphill task. It's not easy at all. But the fact that they're trying is a good thing. Hi, I'm Guili Sui. I'm a poet, a graphic artist, and a literary critic. I've written six poetry books to date and uh, Made for the Stone, which is uh, arguably Singapore's first long-form graphic novel and a couple of comics. And I like to write essays and um, all sorts of other stuff. Gui is a chameleon. After his long-form graphic novel came out, his follow-up, released in 1998, was called Who Wants to Buy a Book of Poems? which reflected the rise of poetry in Singapore. From the late 90s, 2000s onwards, there's this renaissance of sorts in interest in poetry. But in the 90s, if you even look at newspapers, there were fears, there were predictions that poetry would die out in Singapore. Because unlike uh, short stories and novels where people can relate to, poetry is seen as indulgent, it's seen as uh, pretty much useless um, and hard to understand. It doesn't have practical value. It may well not be promoting the sort of uh, literary uh, audience that we want in Singapore, which is one that can actually help build a nation up, you know, whereas poetry doesn't really fit anywhere, especially in the way it's going. It tended towards becoming more and more solipsistic, personal, uh, confessional. So tending in that sense, the idea was that there's no way forward with poetry. The title was um, is entirely ironic. In fact, it's relating to the title poem, which is about that as well. I mean, people talking about poetry when at, at the end, really nobody cares about it. And that's the context. That poem deals with a lot of preconceptions people have at the time about poets as well. Poets as um, as some um, people who talk in ways that others don't understand. Poets as page wasters because they use so few words on, on a page. 
poets as sexually deviant, you know, they, all sorts of contexts like that were, were, were tied to being a poet at that time. Number two. The virtue of temperance. Write in other media. Writers don't have to stick to books. They can expand into other media with their writing. Jerry Lim, turned entrepreneur and co-founded the magazine, now spends a lot of time writing about wine. I started wine writing in 2006, so I've been doing this for 12, 13 years now. It's taken me to a lot of different places. I just was in Bordeaux recently last month. Uh, I was in South Africa. I was in Tuscany, in Napa Valley, all over interviewing winemakers. It's a great job, actually. It's, it takes me to around the world, and yeah, I drink wine, and I drink well, and I eat well. And so it's a, it's a great gift, you know. I, I'm very, very grateful for that. Wayne Ray writes for an advertising agency as a copywriter, making magic with words for major clients. But he never forgets his own work, even if it has to have the status of being an active side hustle. I'll do the day job, I'll work in advertising and all that, and that's fine. I'll get my money, pay my bills, support the family and all that. But at the end of the day, this is who I am. This is what I'm really about, and nothing's going to stop you. If you want to do it, nothing is going to get in your way of being an author. And you'll figure out a way. If nobody's going to publish you, you'll find a publisher eventually. If you don't find a publisher, the way things are now, you can probably put it out there yourself. And the worst case scenario is like one person that you don't know will read the book or your story. Even then, that one person's life would probably be better for it. Number three. The virtue of kindness. How to get along in a socially networked world. Social media is a double-edged sword. It can open huge opportunities as well as close many doors. Writers with their affinity for words should thrive on social media when engaging their audience. In particular, Twitter, with its emphasis on concise writing, should be heaven. My name's Sam. I do all kinds of art. I paint, I write, I write literary criticism, and I like everything to do with a creative mind. It's an intellectual challenge to come up with something that fits within 140 characters or in a tiny screen. And that's fine to exercise your creative juices. But with a lot of the Insta poets that I see or the Twitter poets, and it's quite funny because I actually tried this project to, to write Twitter poetry for a month and failed miserably. With a lot of what I see online right now, I feel like they're a cluster of very beautiful words sometimes. And yes, it does take effort to write. But beauty is only one side of art, right? Like art has also this emotional depth that you've got to get at. And if we're thinking about that second part of my self-definition of what art is, there is that depth and there is that insight that I think is tremendously challenging to get across in, in such a short span of time. The downside of social media is that it can be a time suck, an addiction that distracts from the art. I can talk about my own struggles being extremely distracted in a world of apps and uh, the internet. I do believe quite wholeheartedly that we need solitude, we need space to think and feel, to truly come up with writing that moves people. Um, there is a, it's almost a necessity to step away from daily life to be able to recreate it. If you only have pockets of, let's say, half an hour, 20 minutes here and there to try to scribble some nice sentences out, 
what I think ends up happening is、um, you might come up with a short piece that sounds pretty nice, but it's very hard to achieve the emotional depth of some of the greats. If you are not on Facebook, if you're not on Instagram, the cost is community and access to a community of writers and their meetups and their gatherings. And it's also about what you want to achieve as a writer, right? You can want to write that wonderful epic, and that's probably going to mean sequestering yourself away in some tiny little corner. It all depends on the writer and what they want to get out of the art. Number four: the virtue of humility. Other opportunities. Sometimes, after a book comes out, there are other opportunities that become available to an author. To misquote Forrest Gump, being published is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Charmaine Leung wrote 17A Kyungsak Road. The book got launched. There was quite a warm reception to it, much to my surprise. And I think it was、um, really the journey that brought me to do many projects that I didn't think I was ever going to do. I started getting involved in tours of Kyungsak as part of sharing my memories of the place, not so much as from a tour guide perspective, but more from that perspective of what each of these places mean to me. And that was part of the effort with National Heritage Board, the Heritage Festival. Through those、uh, engagements, more people got to know about the book, got to know me, and then started speaking to me about various things in Chinatown in Kyungsak. And I could find that my relationship with Singapore and with Kyungsak suddenly changed. I feel that there is actually more that I could give to this space, and there's more I would like to do. So I'm actually now conceptualizing and still working on、um, another writing project, assuming I have the time to finish it. On Telling more of those stories that are unknown, unheard of, and、um, to be able to put that into another book. One of the burning questions that all writers have is whether or not you can be a full-time writer of books, novels, non-fiction, or poems. Making all your income purely from books in Singapore is very challenging. I think it's very hard to be an author full time in Singapore and expect to make a living out of it. Everyone I know that's writing are probably lecturing in schools, doing other things, doing other things to supplement their passion for writing. Perhaps people who are in a different stage of their life and thinking they are sort of semi-retired then get into that space of writing more full time. It's it's just difficult because I think the market is very small in Singapore. Authors don't get a lot of royalties. If the book doesn't get out internationally, it's really going to be difficult. I would agree with you that it is hard. Number five, the sin of wrath. Pushing boundaries means sometimes something pushes back. In a connected world where things can go supernova overnight. Guili Sui found himself in the eye of a storm, created from an invitation to speak about Singaporean poetry. The Lee Kuan Yew School of Public Policy wanted to invite me to talk about Singaporean poetry to its、um, foreign students、uh, to introduce them to the subject, and they thought it would be nice to introduce a Singaporean poet to them. And as the day drew close, they realised that may well not be a good idea because they are not even sure what Singaporean poetry is. So to have a Singaporean poet come and talk on the subject, it's doubly removed. You know, they don't know me and they don't know the poetry. And so to introduce them in 
at that time itself might well be uh, too hasty. So they say, is that something in your poetry that they can feel connected to? Having experienced Singapore for a couple of months, they might think this strange and your poetry actually picked that up. And they say, yeah, uh, Singlish, you know? <laughs> they say, okay, yeah, yeah, give a talk on Singlish, you know, which I did. And I, I, I gave this talk on Singlish and it was open to the public. It was very well attended. And one of the attendees actually took a screenshot of one of my slides and then it went viral. This led to a regular column for an online news site called The Middle Ground, each weekly piece related to Singapore culture and Singapore life. In 2016, he was approached by the New York Times to write an article about Singlish. Actually, they wanted me to write about a number of things, you know, and then we narrowed down to Singlish because the editor thought that that was the thing that others would be interested to know. And so I just wrote that. And we didn't think I was going to get into trouble for it. I think nobody thought that it was going to be a big issue celebrating Singlish. And then the government had to respond, you know about that. When the Prime Minister, press secretary responded to it, it became an even bigger issue. For the next one month after that, after the newspapers in Singapore picked up their reply in the New York Times, it just went crazy. I mean, everybody was discussing Singlish, the good and the bad about it. Gui's love of Singlish and his wish to celebrate Singlish was lost in the debate. Multiple sides argued over what linguistics associate professor Tang Ling Ling described academically as a contact language. Many Singapore writers do include Singlish in their books, but the discourse on where Singlish stands academically and socially will not be settled so easily. Gui's latest book is a Singlish translation of The Little Prince with the title of Dalita Tunku. Number six, the sin of lust. Write what your audience wants. Any tabloid news editor will tell you that you can never go wrong with sex. Sex sells. The birds do it, the bees do it. But if you can add a layer of the salacious, you'll get reader eyeballs. Jerry Lim wasn't afraid to dip his pen into this particular genre. My most famous book, I would gladly say now that my most famous book is Invisible Trade, which is about high-class sex for sale in Singapore, which is about the escorts in the hotels and how that works, which is something that people don't talk about, you know? Invisible Trade 2 came out, and I followed with other books, uh, Singapore Rebel, which is about Annabelle Chong, Astro Mayhem, which is about Monica Mayhem, a, a ghost-written autobiography of a porn star, and so forth. And that launched into a whole section of my career that I hadn't really expected, which is to write books about uh, porn and the sex industry. I got very little hate mail. I got weird mail, but not hate mail. Weird mail meaning people are writing because they want to write books and they're asking me to read some stuff that they've written, which is usually terrible. And that's it. You know, I remember the authorities here in Singapore. I wrote a letter to the authorities and sent them a copy of the first Invisible Trade book. And I waited to see what they would say, you know. And it turned out that the girl who wrote me back said, oh, no problem with your book. By the way, I'm waiting to read my copy. <laughs> Which is, which is like, oh my God, I didn't expect a compliment to come with that. So honestly, this has touched a chord among people who want to know more, and they're inquisitive, and they can't wait to find out what makes me tick, I guess, in terms of how I do what I do. Number seven, the sin of pride, the validation of being published. For some authors, being published is such a lofty goal that once they achieve that, it might be enough for them. For writers, leaving a legacy of their work 
to have pride in that is a strong motivator. But in the traditional view, pride is not seen as a virtue. But validation is something that people do seek in their lives. Guili Sui takes the long view on this. I think all writers in Singapore do struggle with that, right? On one hand, to leave a legacy. On the other hand, to write what they really want to write. Sometimes they converge, sometimes they don't. If what you say become relevant socially, good for you. But will you continue to say the things you say, even if it's not socially relevant, is the test of you as a writer. I think a true writer will write regardless of whether immediately he or she makes a dent or not. For me, I've always said that I'm very patient. You know, if it takes 50, 100 years for people to understand what I'm trying to do, that's fine. Right now, it seems that people only focus on me doing the singlish thing, which is fine, you know, because then it frees me in many ways to focus on doing my poetry bit without their intrusion. I'm trying to see things positively because I'm a very positive person. Jerry Lim adds a note of caution for those chasing that validation. I don't think validation is a question. It's a question of what you're interested in. The important thing is to find what you're interested in and to write from there. For me, narrative nonfiction is about, you know, needing my notes and needing my, my stuff to work with because I, I need that. You know, I can't do fiction where you just create from nothing. If you know what you know and know it well, that's a great place to start. You know, you have to start from there and you've got to move on from there. As opposed to, like, you know, maybe having a hoo-ha attitude towards something that you're not sure of, but I'll try it anyway, you know, you know what I mean? So it's like a dilettante approach, which I don't encourage at all, because I think it's a very bad approach to, to, to take to, to try and reach a goal. The first writer we met in part one of this two-episode finale was Justin Suarez. At the time of the interview, she was long-listed for a fiction contest run by Epigram, a local publisher. The funny thing about that long-form novel that I submitted for Epigram, it actually started as a fan fiction. I guess it's okay to say um, it's a Hannibal fan fiction, you know, the TV series. Winning that prize could have created a conundrum. My take on it is if this book becomes successful and I end up living off writing, I have this sneaking suspicion that I would become miserable because I like the purity of writing on its own. I do put myself in, within this like writing schedule so I can hit some of my writing targets. I see writing as my lifetime's vocation. That is where my soul is, but I don't necessarily need it to make me money because in its pure inherent form, it's just what I want to do. Unfortunately, Justin didn't make it to the shortlist, so her quest to have her work published continues. Being published doesn't define a writer. What they actually write does. At the end of the day, when I die, right, my life's work is going to be the stuff that I've written, and so it is my life's work. It's not just a hobby. <laughs> but it's hard to reconcile that because obviously it's not like your main source of income. It's something that you do on your free time, and it takes up probably a lot less hours than your working life. So it's really hard to reconcile those two identities. Being a writer in Singapore is challenging. We've looked at how an idea in an author's head gets to the shelf of a bookstore and then explored what happens after. From talking to Kenny Leck of Books Actually and our seven writers, I can see that in Singapore there is no set path for literary stardom and no formula for success in this market. 
I'll let them have the final word. Sam Toe. You just have to do it, and you just have to keep at it. It's much harder to maintain the enthusiasm for whatever creative pursuit that you're doing when pressures of life just come piling on. If you think writing is something you can't do without, be clear about that to yourself and always carve out the time because I think you'll feel better for it and you'll feel more whole because of it. Jerry Lim. I think that they have to realize what is important to them. If your goal is to publish a book and you do it and you're happy, great. But if your goal is to go beyond that and, and to do more books like I am doing now, that's a different goal. You have to set your sights longer and look at in terms of the long run. Charmaine Leung. The actual launch day was magical because we were very, very blessed. I launched the book in the space where I grew up in. So 30 years later, I'm sitting there again. It's incredible. Sebastian Sim. My aim is to build a body of work that reflects Singapore stories from uh, the 60s, 70s, all the way until the current era. And what I do is I create this fictional world whereby the characters from different books all live in the same universe. There's this interconnectedness between all of us. I'd just like to tell all their stories over several books. Wayne Ray. I've been very lucky in the sense that my stories have actually had emotional impact on quite a few people. At least they told me that it's had an emotional impact on them. It's a bizarre thing that I never even took into account to hear them talk to me about how their stories affected them. It transcends beyond anything you expected. Gwili Sui. Originally, I thought, you know, I'll give myself maybe two years, two, two to three years. If it's not going to work out, if I'm not going to make a living of sorts, I'm, I'm going to stop. And it's, it's been 10 years, you know. It just was quite miraculous in that sense to be able to keep going like that. Justin Suarez. I think at the end of the day, I want to look back and think that I have written something good. I think for most artists, it's what they want, like to have written something that has impacted someone. There will always be a little bit of that desire to be recognized by another person that you have written something good. Kenny Lack. If it doesn't work, try and try again. When the most cliche thing is always like when you look at, when you read stories about other writers that got rejected. The guy that uh, wrote Jurassic Park, Michael Crichton, he wrote a lot of crappy genre stuff during his uni days just to get by, but I think those crappy genre stuff that he wrote put him on a different training ground. It forced him to sit down and write, to push it out, to pay the bills. He was undergraduate. I think that changed his craft or it changed his discipline. So if you're someone that truly believes in your writing, the writing, the process, go through the process. Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't work. But then you just got to try. Thanks for listening to this second season finale episode from the No One Not podcast. It was produced and hosted by me, Ken Delbridge, and my thanks to everyone who sat for interviews. Swipe on your smartphone to see show notes and links to our writers. And for more information, do visit our website, knowonenot.com. We're going to take a short break and be back with season three, which will be all about food. If you enjoyed our podcast, please do give us a five-star rating on Apple Podcasts. It really helps to support this podcast and lets other people find us. Do subscribe to hear new episodes. We have new shows every two weeks. If you have a friend who you think would like this podcast, do share us on social media. We're on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Twitter.